And welcome to another episode of G220 Radio. This is Ricky Gantz, again, uh, flying solo, but not so solo, because I do have a guest with me uh, tonight, but flying solo. My my uh, co-host, Mike, uh, is still uh, not back with us, but I uh, keep praying for him as he's uh, finally in his home there in Kentucky, and uh, Lord willing, he'll be back with us soon, and, and that will be a joy to have him back. It's always good to, to have Mike as part of the program. Uh, as we kick off uh, our, our discussions on many topics from a biblical nature. And so uh, really looking forward to when that does happen, when he comes back. But tonight, we, we've got a good program for you. We, we're in a series. Uh, we're in a series called Strange Things in the Bible. Now, we state that because there are sometimes some things that you read in scriptures and you think, scratch your head and you think, man, that's a little strange. How, how do I reconcile this? Um, and obviously the Bible has answers. Um, I just posted the other day, uh, or maybe it was today. I think it was the other day about, uh, when you read scriptures, it's, it's really easy. And the 1689 tells us this on their definition of scripture, that scripture interprets scripture. So often when you're confused with something or you're, you're not fully understanding or grasping something, most of the time, the majority of the time, if you just keep reading the context, it will give you the answer. Now, yes, there are some things that uh, we have theological discussions on and debate and disagreements. Um, and then there are some things that we need to dig in deeper to fully understand. But the Bible does provide answers. They're there. And so uh, we want to encourage you to look at the things in the scripture. And even when they're strange, even when they come across as something strange, um, the Bible does have answers. And so we believe that and we stand upon that. And, and as Christians, we should look to the scriptures for these answers. And tonight we're going to do that when we talk about paranormal activity. We're going to talk about ghosts. Last week we talked about witches. And I want to put this out. I have up in the, the YouTube chat there, if you have a question, please put a Q with a question mark after it and leave it there. And we will do our best to see that and get that up on the program at some point during the show. Uh, last week we talked about witches and we had a couple witches come into the chat room and they were being not very nice so to speak. So I didn't put their comments up on the, on the screen. But if you come in and you disagree with us as Christians, but you want to contribute to the conversation, feel free to do so. Just be respectful. 
and we'll put those up. I don't, I don't shy away from your comments, even if you disagree with us, uh, so long as you're being respectful. If you do that, we'll put that up there. Um, but we're going to talk about ghosts tonight. This is this is a very uh, interesting topic. It's it's something that we see a lot of in our society, in our culture, especially now, uh, being that it's the month of October, Halloween, trick or treating, uh, kids getting dressed up. You know, um, all all the things that come along with with this time of month. And so when we think about this and we talk about these things, what does the scripture say? Like I said, we talked about witches last week, but we're going to talk about ghosts tonight. And my guest is Daniel McAdams. He is the author of Biblical Explanations, The Paranormal, and he's joining us for the program tonight. I'm excited to have you on. Daniel, welcome to G220 Radio. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Now, you wrote this book, the author of this book here on, on paranormal um, activity, you know, uh, what does the Bible say? But before we get into that, because I really want to dig into some of that and have you share some of that testimony with us. But before we get into that, what I really want from you is to share your testimony, how you came to know the Lord. Um, give the opportunity for the, the, those that are, are watching, you know, listening, maybe listening later via podcast, uh, a little bit of how to get, or a little bit to get to know you. I'm not really speaking properly right there, but to get to know you a little bit and um, um, just share how you came to know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. So I've, I grew up in a very Christian family, a very conservative Christian family with Baptist backgrounds. Um, at four years old, I came back from a Awana meetup at my church and prayed the, the sinner's prayer. Um, and since that day, grew up in church, was active in two different youth groups in high school played on my church worship team in high school and shortly after high school as well. But then when I got involved in the paranormal just out of high school, I kind of butted heads with the church leadership at the church I was going to at the time over this subject. And because I couldn't get the answers I was seeking from them, other than them just telling me that, well, the Bible says paranormal investigation is wrong, so don't do it. Well, I, I'd seen evidence that ghosts and haunting type phenomena were real and i was just trying to figure out what was going on i was thinking i was taking a scientific aspect to it and when the church leadership couldn't give me those answers that i was thinking to help answer the questions that i had i kind of uh backed away from the church at that time and for the next four or five years really was living not as a christian i never renounced my faith but the more i delved into the paranormal I started studying New Age philosophy, studied Buddhism, some Wicca stuff. I was looking into all these other religions and possible areas for answers to what the paranormal was and how to protect oneself from the evil aspects of it. And I just kept getting further and further involved. Started out in 2010 when I first got interested. 2011, my best friend Dylan, who wrote the foreword for my book, we discovered we had a mutual interest in this and we made our own paranormal team. And from 2011 to 2019, we just kept going deeper and deeper and deeper into the paranormal. And then in 2019, like at this time, I called myself a Christian, but you wouldn't have known it looking at me or seeing how I lived. But in a conversation I was having with my boss, as I was explaining what ghosts were i was just spouting off the normal theories and out of the blue came the thought that well maybe they're all actually demons and i'd never thought about that before 
Mm-hmm. And Dylan and I kind of discussed it at the beginning of our journey together, but kind of brushed it off as just conservative fundamental Christians saying that to scare people out of being interested in the paranormal. And so when I had that thought, I actually opened up the Bible to look for answers to, well, what are demons? Well, what are angels? What can they do? And when I opened up the Bible and started seeing that, wow, when you look into angelology and demonology, all these answers that you were seeking for the paranormal are starting to be answered through what demons are, what angels are from a biblical biblical perspective. Mm-hmm. And we were both blown away. And in 2019, both Dylan and I made a decision. It's like, yeah, we, we can't be doing this anymore. We were doing this for all the wrong reasons. We need to be glorifying God and living for him now. And we, we retired from the paranormal and have uh, dove into ministry and trying to get the answers out there from a biblical perspective. Yeah, it, it's very interesting as you say that. I think one of the things, is, as when I was starting the show, about the, the Bible does have answers, right? Absolutely. We, we believe that the scriptures are the final authority in the life of Christian, and it provides answers for things. Yes, it's not a math book. It's not technically a science book, but there mm-hmm. are answers to the questions that we do have in life. They're there. They're in the scriptures. Um, you know, what, what do they say? If you read a proverb a day, right? You read, there's 31 mm-hmm. chapters in the Proverbs. You read those, there's practical wisdom from God in how to live out your life. And even an unbeliever can look at some of these things in the scripture. And while they may not believe in God, the, the practical wisdoms that there that is there in the Proverbs when it comes to, to money, when it comes to mm-hmm. so many different things, parenting, uh, relationships, it will guide you and not lead you astray. It will give you truth. Absolutely. But, but it's very interesting too, because as you said, I think this is so key and so important because you said you started to have this fascination with the ghosts and with this paranormal thing, uh, things that you have maybe have experienced or seen or, you know, uh, and you went to your, your pastor at the time or your church leadership at the time to get some answers and they weren't able to really provide you with answers. Now, not to, to bash them or to, you know, sometimes mm-hmm. I think, um, out of our own ignorance, we don't know what to say, but, but in dealing with the so-called Hebrew Israelites, uh, with many, uh, Jehovah witnesses that I've encountered over the years, a lot of them used to be, and I'm a reformed Baptist. A lot of them would say they used to be a Baptist or go to a church, a Christian church, but they went for answers and couldn't get answers. So they went seeking for answers elsewhere and ended up in Mm -hmm. false teaching. And so it's Absolutely. very important for us as believers. doesn't mean we're going to know everything. We're still looking into the scriptures, trying to understand things, and we have disagreements over certain theological aspects. But we as Christians, especially leaders, elders within a church, need to have biblical answers or at least be willing to sit down and go through some of those questions that come in with the, the one asking them so that we don't find them in a cult mm-hmm. or looking into false teaching. Right. Because one of the biggest dangers, I think, in the church today, especially when it comes to the paranormal, is if somebody comes to you with a question about it, if the church tells them, no, we don't talk about that thing here or we don't have an answer for you. Well, the only other place for that person to turn is to the world and the world's wisdom. Mm. And that's not going to lead them closer to God. It's going to lead them further away from God. Right. Right. Yeah, so absolutely. even if even if a church leadership doesn't have the answers right then and there, instead of pushing that person, pushing that person away, um, 
say, hey, let me look into this and get back to you. Can we set up mm-hmm. a time in a couple of days, in a week, so that I can look into this and get you the answers that you're seeking? Right. Rather than just saying, no, we don't talk about it, or no, we we don't have answers, or, well, the Bible says it's wrong. That's the end of the discussion. Right. Yeah. Yeah, you got to be willing to, to dig in. And I know, again, we don't know everything. Leadership doesn't know mm-hmm. everything. They're, they're studying, they're learning, um, they're preaching through whatever they may be preaching through. That might be their focus at the time. And sometimes you can give them an off-the-wall question that they weren't expecting and not have an answer. And it's okay to say, Absolutely. I don't know right now. I know the Bible says it's against this, but let me look into it a little bit more. Uh, and that's wise counsel from from an elder or pastor or someone who's who's seeking to help that individual through whatever that struggle may be. So you kind of mentioned it a little bit about how you were, you kind of grew up in the church and then um, you, and I've heard it from another uh, thing that I watched with you giving a presentation where you mentioned how you were, you're a big roller coaster fan. (laughs) Yes. Right. And oh, we yeah. have Cedar Point here. We love to go to Cedar Point. Nice. I so, dream about getting out there. Yes. We are We are like 40 minutes, maybe 30 minutes, depending on the traffic, from Cedar Point. And we love to go every year. I can't ride the rides like I used to. It's disappointing as I've gotten older. I can't handle some of them. But mm-hmm. the rides, it's just Cedar Point's a great place. My kids love it. Um, but you said you was fascinated with roller coasters. And why don't you go ahead and share a little bit about that, how then you ended up watching some paranormal show and that kind of sparked that for you. So, yeah, that, that's a fun story. And I love sharing that because how I got into the paranormal originally is not normal. So you could call that paranormal <laughs> um, because as a young kid, I did have some experiences, saw things I couldn't explain, um, read stories, heard ghost stories and all that. But being a young kid, I like to sleep without having nightmares. So I never really paid a whole lot of attention to it. And whenever a horror movie would come on or like ghost stories or whatnot, I turned the TV off or changed the channel and just ignored it so I could sleep that night. Well, in 2010, I was watching a TV show and on the travel channel, and they had a roller coaster marathon going on, like top five tallest wooden roller coasters, top five tallest coasters, fastest, things like that. And as a roller coaster lover, if I can't be riding the rides, it's fun to see what other roller coasters are out there. Mm -hmm. So I'm just enjoying myself having a grand old time watching the TV. And then it gets to the last episode of the series and a little advertisement pops up for the next show and it says, stay tuned next as we talk about America's eight most haunted locations. I thought to myself, okay, that's my sign to turn the TV off and go find something else to do for the rest of the day. Well, when the roller coaster episode ended, I started looking around for the remote. Well, by the time I found it, the next show, America's Eight Most Haunted, had already started playing. And I looked up at the TV, and I live in Missouri now, but I grew up in Colorado, and I saw the Stanley Hotel on the introduction for America's Eight Most Haunted. And I saw that, I was like, wait, I've been to Estes Park. I know that location. It's like, why is that building considered one of America's eight most haunted? And so I put the TV remote down and watched the show just to see why this building that I was familiar with was considered to be one of America's eight most haunted locations. And by the end of that show, I was hooked. I wanted to have those experiences for myself. I wanted to capture those 
that same type of photo and video evidence for myself. I wanted to go see these locations for myself and just check this out. Like, is there any validity to this? Can you actually capture photo and video evidence like what I was seeing on this show? That, and I was just absolutely fascinated by some of these big, massive abandoned buildings that people were going to to go send that to. And that's really how I became hooked on the paranormal. And the next year in 2011, discovered that my best friend Dylan had an interest too. And we got a team together and never looked back. So explain to us a little bit about what goes into the paranormal investigations. You and your, your friend Dylan um, now going out and doing some of these um, uh, investigations, uh, so to speak, there, trying to capture these images or uh, voices, whatever. What, what goes into that? Because I'm sure many people have seen shows like the ghost hunters or some of the other ones. I think there was one, what was it taps back in the day or yeah, that was ghost hunters, uh, the Atlantic paranormal society. Okay. You have ghost adventures, which is the, the most famous and popular one now with Zach Bagans mm. and Aaron Goodwin. Um, but yeah, there's, there's a few different methods that people use when approaching a paranormal investigation. Some people like to just go in blind with no knowledge of the building and and see what happens but that's not how we rolled um, i'm a huge history buff so whenever we do an investigation i like to research the history to that building to see if maybe i could find some clues from the history as to why this building might be haunted and so i do a lot of pre-investigation research for the locations and talk to my team about that so that way we all knew about the location as we'd go in we try to talk to people that had had experiences there or look up stories or other investigations online just to see what people had experienced at this location. And then when we would show up, we'd usually try to walk around, get a, a layout of the place so that way we knew where we were going, um, where we wanted to set up our headquarters with all our gear. And that way, if we're in the middle of an investigation or split up, we can say, hey, meet back at such and such place in half an hour and we'd all know where to go. And we'd also look for things like we'd take our, our ghost meter, which was an EMF meter that wasn't shielded. So any little bit of EMF frequency would cause it to go off. We'd usually walk around with that while we were doing the, the initial walkthrough. That way we knew what spots in the building had like high electrical frequencies. And we'd also and that's, know that that's what the EMF is. It's, it's electrical. Electromagnetic fields. Okay. That's what EMF stands for. And that's one of the main tools paranormal investigators use because all, everything that's in existence, all matter at the subatomic, yeah, basically the subatomic level is made up of nuclear energy of some sort. So electromagnetic energy, everything gives it off in some amounts at the molecular level. And if you get into an area that has really, really high EMF that's being given off, like old appliances, unshielded cables, shorts and some electrical cables in the house, that can cause people to have actual physiological reactions such as being nauseous, dizzy, lightheaded, mm. feelings of paranoia like somebody's watching you and that can really throw your whole body off. So we'd go look for that and if we noticed that then we could recognize that if we were in that particular area of the building on the investigation and started feeling things or experiencing stuff that it's probably because of the EMF fields that we were that were affecting us. So once we did the walkthrough and kind of established a big regular EMF hotspots, 
Then we'd usually go lights out. We had infrared camcorders. Um, that way, our, when the lights are out, your sense of hearing and your other senses other than your eyes have to uh, be relied on more, so your hearing becomes more keen. Um, you're paying attention more, especially to your peripheral vision. So it just kind of heightens your senses with it being dark because when it's light outside, we rely heavily on our eyes. Mm. And when you're looking for things that are out of the ordinary, it's not just things that you can see. There's also a lot of things that you can hear that can clue you into stuff too. Mm. So we'd usually try to go lights out for everything with infrared camcorders. That way we could see in the, in the dark with the cameras. Um, and also there's some theories out there that a lot of these spirit entities reside in the infrared spectrum, which is outside the visible range for humans to be able to see. So that's one of the theories also behind why investigators use infrared camcorders or ultraviolet cameras is because of that theory that there might be spiritual activity or other entities that exist outside the visible spectrum. And we'd also have audio recorders out to be able to capture sounds that we might not be able to hear or sounds that we just didn't pick up in the moment. And they also record or capture what are called EVPs, electronic voice phenomena, which is actually a really odd occurrence where these digital recorders seem to pick up voices that nobody else hears. And it's just captured on that, that mm -hmm. audio recorder. And I can tell you as a fact, we've had tons of those that there'd be two, three, four of us in a room not hear anything. And as we listen back to the, the audio recorders that we had running, we'd hear sounds or talking going on on that recording that none of us heard in that time and none of us were talking either. So that is a, a real and true phenomenon that happens. And so we'd use audio recorders, infrared and other special cameras, EMF meters, and then there's lots of other experimental devices out there too that are constantly being invented or innovated just by people like who are paranormal investigators who like to tinker with with uh, gadgets to just go out and see if well maybe this will help us capture evidence or maybe this will help us to uh, to uh, better understand the paranormal. But something that a couple of the big rules that we followed as a paranormal investigation team, we tried to be as as credible and thorough as possible because we never tried to fake evidence. If we were questionable about evidence, we'd leave it out or we'd put a caveat on it like we think this could have been, but we're not sure. Um, whenever we'd be talking or somebody would make a sound, we'd usually try to remember, oh, that was me. So that way on the audio recorder, if you hear like a whisper that somebody accidentally made, we tag it verbally going, oh, that was so-and-so or that was me. That way we wouldn't think that that was paranormal. Uh, we also never, never did drink or did any sort of drugs because we want to go in with a clear mind, nothing. We didn't want anything clouding our thoughts and our intellect or affecting us that way. And we'd also just try to respect the locations too. We wouldn't go out to party. We wouldn't go out and just be obnoxious and blast music and have fun because we had this abandoned place or this old place all to ourselves. We were very objective in what we were trying to figure out and just try to be the most credible and objective and truthful paranormal investigators that we could be. Yeah. Now you mentioned uh, the EVPs um, trying to capture something, um, a voice or some noise, mm -hmm. some sound. 
that you're not particularly making. Um, <clears throat> could you explain a little bit more of that? Because like, I know there's times where I'm, I've come in my office and I'm sitting here and I've got these pretty cheap computer speakers and they're like the first time it happened. I'm like, what, what is that? And like somebody was talking through my speakers. I later realized it's somebody on a CB radio somewhere that it's picking <laughs> that up. Oh yeah. You know? So, so does that happen? Um, or is this equipment uh, like state of the art where it doesn't pick up some of that maybe radio transmission from that's kind of just coming into it? Um, yeah, you definitely do get some radio transmission that comes in and affects things. Uh, like if you ever watch a paranormal investigation show, you'll see them use like an SB7 or an SB11 spirit box, which is flipping through radio frequencies that spirits are supposedly able to talk through. And that gets a lot of radio interference because it's going through radio frequencies. But some of the, uh, the cheaper pieces of equipment, cheaper microphones, cheaper speakers and whatnot will pick up some of the more powerful signals from nearby radio equipment and sometimes even your cell phone uh, can affect it too, giving little beeps and buzzes and other odd sounds as it's sending and receiving signals that are interfering with the magnetic and electrical components within a microphone or a speaker. But the way EVPs work, electronic voice phenomena, we used Zoom H1 digital audio recorders. So these are $100 recorders. So they have a, a higher end mic capsule that are shielded from the ra stray radio frequencies and things like that. And the, the theory within the paranormal world is that ghosts can either do like a electromagnetic imprint of a verbal phrase or thought onto the, into that device that will then be recorded because it records to a, a magnetic memory in the SD cards. Or it's, they speak just to that device. So that device is the only thing picking it up. Um, there is one theory that I used to subscribe to, and I talk about it in the book that I, I can't believe I actually ascribed to it, but it's that sometimes these microphones can pick up frequencies beyond our hearing, and thus these spirits are talking in a frequency that's either too low or too high for us, and then when we play it back, we can hear it, but human, the human ear can only hear between 20 hertz and 20,000 hertz. Even if your microphone can pick up lower than 20 hertz or more than 20,000 hertz, you're still not going to be able to hear it because it's picking it up at that level. And when it plays it back, it's going to be playing it back at that level. It's not The microphones don't magically take this audio, suddenly transmit it down and change it inside so that it plays back at levels we can hear. Yeah, we can manipulate the audio and audio recorder, uh, audio editing software to be able to pull up uh, to parts or to adjust frequencies a little bit to hear it. But if it's being recorded at a level that we can't hear, it's not going to be played back at a level we can hear. Right. So that, that's a theory that I can thoroughly debunk just because logically and reasonably it doesn't make sense. But a, a solid theory that I still subscribe to as to why people do record EVPs and voices on their audio equipment when they're out by themselves or when they or the team aren't talking, is that entity, that demon, is specifically speaking into that particular device. And it's no different than if, like, you and I were in the middle of a crowded room with a bunch of people, and I didn't want anybody else hearing what I'm going to tell you. I'd come up and just whisper loud enough for you to hear me, 
but nobody else around is going to be able to hear what I'm telling you. And I, that's my theory as to why these electrical audio, uh, these digital audio recorders can pick up these voices that nobody else is hearing because that spirit entity is specifically talking just to that recorder and nobody else around is going to be able to hear it. Mm-hmm. Now, when you <clears throat> think about uh, the ghost hunters and, and these ghost adventures, and I've seen, I've seen them. Uh, matter of fact, <clears throat> as I was considering doing this series or getting ready to set up the series on strange things in the Bible, I had turned it on. We, we have a Roku TV, and so we, we stream different channels. We don't have cable or anything like that. And so you can sometimes click on the live TV, and there's some live channels on either the yep. Roku channel or some of these different streaming channels that are free. They have these different live channels. And I, I clicked on one and for the live TV, and it was happened to be some kind of ghost adventure. I don't know what it was, but it was one of these paranormal shows. Mm-hmm. And I'm watching it. My, yeah, my, I'm watching. My wife's like, what are you watching? Right. Well, what, what are you, you know, watching here? And I know my 16-year-old came downstairs and he saw it and he's watching it a little bit. And he's like, that's not real. That's 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 crazy. You know what I mean? Because they're not used to watching stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but when I've seen some of these, they'll talk about there's these different kind of haunts or whatever where there's I think I've heard the term residual or um, where it's, yeah, intelligent. That's the other one that I heard. Can you explain what, what that is? Absolutely. So in within paranormal investigation, you have two types of hauntings that they'll talk about, intelligent hauntings and residual hauntings. Intelligent hauntings are hauntings where you can communicate with the spirit. The spirit communicates back. There's intelligence shown by that entity. In a residual haunting, it's more like a video playback where you just kind of see the same thing happening over and over. And often residual hauntings are like what you'd read about in a book where you read about a ghost story for a particular location. It's like, oh, at this particular time of the year on this day, you'll see this shadow standing in the window and then it walks away. Or you'll read about how some people will see like this figure walk down the hall make a left-hand turn and then walk through the wall and that it happens people have seen that happen multiple times so it's more like a video playback so residual is more like they call it left behind energy that just kind of plays back like in a loop and intelligent is activity that's going on that has seeming intelligent behind intelligence behind it that you can communicate or interact with and what about uh, like a poltergeist because I, I know that movie was famous back when i was younger um, they may have made a remake. They make a remake of a lot of things, yeah. but, um, I don't know if they have or not, but, uh, I know they do make a remakes of a lot of, a lot of old movies, but what would it, would, would that be considered intelligent haunt or, um, that, yeah, that would fall into the category of intelligent haunting. Poltergeist is a German word for noisy ghost. And it refers to ghosts that like to slam doors, throw things around, make lots and lots of noise. So that's really a, a poltergeist type of a ghost or type okay. of a haunting. So when you were in some of these places and you're investigating, um, and I, I take it there were times where you're by yourself or split up mm-hmm. with, from the group, um, 
was that uh, intimidating, scary? Because uh, I know, you know, growing up, we'd go downstairs to get something from my grandpa's basement <laughs> and you flip the lights and you're running up the stairs as fast as you can because <laughs> the darkness down there, you know, as people love darkness, they don't like the light. You mm-hmm. know, that's why Christ is the light of the world. We come to Christ, exactly. right? But um, Amen. so so what is, what is uh, uh, maybe some of, of how you're feeling when you're in that? Because I would think even if you don't predispose yourself to maybe some of the information or what others may have seen going into a place to do something like that is going to heighten your senses a bit. Mm-hmm. And yeah, oftentimes, and I think the case is most often with purported paranormal activity is just people expecting something to happen because They've psyched themselves out watching horror movies or watching paranormal shows on TV. So they go to a place like this themselves or into the dark basement like you were talking about. And then they're expecting something scary to happen. So then they hear like the house creak or the wind blows outside or their pet walks across the floor upstairs. And because they're expecting something paranormal or ghostly to happen, their mind immediately attributes something that's natural that happens all the time to it being a ghost um but when we'd go investigate like for dylan and i we we relished it and it oftentimes we'd split up from each other split up from the group and go on what we call solo vigils where one of us would go off by ourselves or sometimes we'd even uh, uh force the other two members of our group to all go off by themselves too and while dylan and i never really got scared of it we understood that stuff was going to happen, but it's like, okay, if something happens, that's what we want to have happen. Um, we've never heard of anybody being killed by a ghost yet. So it's like, all right, we don't have to worry about that yet. And if we're the first people killed by a ghost, then you're going to be famous worldwide for uh, centuries as nice. the first person killed by a ghost. So we always joke to always have the camera running. Whatever happens, have the camera running. So we capture it on video. But yeah, when you go off by yourself, there is always, like even with our confidence and our excitement for that, your adrenaline goes up and you have that little thought in the back of your head, like I am by myself. If something happens, it's like nobody's going to be here to, to help. It's just me. And I had a couple occasions where just being by myself and having something happen just sent chills up my spine and one time mm-hmm. sent me running out of the basement of the location up to the main floor only to find that there was nobody there. Everybody else had gone upstairs already. So mm-hmm. I was still by myself. <laughs> yeah. I, I do think, I do believe that people have experiences. I've had experiences in my mm-hmm. life that I can't, couldn't have explained. I, I, I ascribe to the same thing as, as you do. I don't believe that people are in limbo when they die. I mean, the Bible's specifically clear on this. It's appointed yep. unto man wants to die. Absolutely. And then the judgment, Hebrews 9, 27 and so, and there's other scriptures that talk about what happens when men die. Um, and so I don't want to just completely discredit people's experiences because mm-hmm. I know that there are people that do have experiences. And so we, we, what we want to do is kind of discuss maybe what the Bible says these experiences actually are. Yeah, right? absolutely. Because I know that when I was very close to my grandfather uh, and when he passed, I was at West Point. Uh, which is another haunted place, right? Very haunted. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. But I was stationed at West Point. And after he died that morning, I had this very uh, explicit kind of dream. Like it it, it was, it was a dream or was it not a dream? 
but he appeared at the foot of my bed and told me everything is all right. As a Christian, my grandfather never displayed the the uh, Christian lifestyle. You know, he was a good man in worldly standard, but he never displayed those things that he knew Christ in his life. Mm-hmm. So I believe that because other people have stated they see someone after they die, right? And I believe that this is a manipulation from demons to trick you to believe that everybody goes to heaven or everybody goes off to some paradise where they're no, yeah, they're not, the there's not a, yeah, there's not a gnashing of the teeth like the Bible describes for those who don't know Christ. Or it's possible that because somebody's so uh, prevalent on your mind, and you just lost them and you're thinking about them, you have a dream mm-hmm. and they're in a dream. So I think it could be one or the other, not saying yeah, it always agree. has to be one, but it could be either or, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And we, as Christians and especially as Christian leaders within the church, we have to be careful to not just flippantly offhandedly dismiss people's experiences or what they say they've experienced as being just like a figment of their imagination or them just being crazy. Because once again, they think they've had this experience. To them, it was real. Whether it was something natural that could be naturally explained, whether it was just actually something like you were saying, something in their mind where they've just lost somebody that they were close to and they're fresh on their mind after this, that they think they have this vision or visitation from them. But, or they've had a legit paranormal experience that just can't be explained by anything in this world and if we as christian leaders just dismiss that outright as crazy they're going to turn away from the church for answers and go to the world and go to these paranormal investigators who are offering help freely to anybody that's had an experience like this and they're going to be seeking their solace and answers and truth so to speak from the world again so as christians even if you disagree with the paranormal and don't think it's true, if somebody comes to you looking for answers for an experience that they've had, don't just blow them off. Like sit down and genuinely listen to them and try to help explain it from a biblical perspective as to what it might have been. Yeah. Now, a couple examples in Scripture that we see where uh, a spirit or a phantasma uh, is, is within the Greek word, um, is mentioned. The one instance, uh, it's recorded twice because we, we see two accounts, Luke and Matthew, of Jesus walking on the water. Mm-hmm. And the disciples think this is a spirit, it's a phantasma, it, this is a ghost yeah. walking before them. Um, but it, it, it's, it's Christ who is the Son yep. of God, the second person of the Trinity. He's walking on the water to them. Um, and But it has this he doesn't rebuke them for thinking that he doesn't even really mention it, but they're already in their mind. They're thinking ghosts. So even in their culture, they had this, uh, Jews can be very superstitious, you know, and they Mm -hmm. had a lot of this in their culture, um, to think that these things were legitimately ghosts. Um, what, what are are your thoughts on, on that instance? The other instance is, um, the one from Samuel. We brought it up last week when we talked about the mediums and the witches, uh, where, She's interacting with the dead, sees familiar spirits that she's encountered often, but this encounter with Samuel, because the scriptures tell us it's appointed that a man wants to die, then the judgment. 
You know, Paul says yeah. it's better to to go. I'm, I'm kind of torn. Uh, I want to stay with you. To be present yeah. with the Lord. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's like, I want to stay with you, but I want to be present with the Christ. If I, if I to, yeah. to die is gain, and so it it shows us that hey, once you die, that's it. You're either under the judgment of God or you're in the presence of God. And um, but we see these things because this witch from Endor um, is shocked that this is Samuel. So this isn't a familiar spirit. I do believe it mm-hmm. was Samuel. But what, what are your 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 uh, um, thoughts and and maybe what you can add to to those two maybe accounts there. Oh, absolutely. And uh, I think it's interesting you bring up both those accounts, Jesus walking on water and Samuel, because the accounts of Jesus walking on the water, those were two passages of scripture that Dylan and I used to justify what we were doing biblically. Because like you said, like the disciples thought he was a ghost. And you don't see Jesus rebuke them for thinking he was a ghost. You don't see Jesus try to correct their thinking like, hey, hey, now, ghosts aren't real. That's just a made up fairy tale. He doesn't acknowledge that whatsoever. And so Dylan and I thought that was like our golden key to being able to be paranormal investigators because like, oh, hey, ghosts are real. Look at that. But when you look into it, the Jews, like something else about this passage too shows you that ghost stories and the paranormal are things that have existed for millennia in this world it's not a new fascination and the stories are nothing new under the sun right exactly and the stories that you hear from even millennia ago are very similar to the stories you're hearing from people experiencing today but the jews at that time period did believe that like if somebody died at sea that their spirit would be trapped or stuck where they drowned so as the disciples are out on that boat in the storm and they see jesus walking they are thinking that in their mind, they're recalling these these stories that they've heard of people dying at sea and their ghosts getting stuck where they drowned. So that's immediately what their their minds are turning to to explain what they're seeing. They're not realizing that they're seeing the second person of the Trinity, he who created the very water he was walking upon. Mm. They're not thinking that that's who they're seeing. They're thinking back to the one thing that they're familiar with since childhood that oh, this is the ghost of some Jewish fisherman or person who died at sea here. And then Jesus shows up, and instead of putting attention to the ghost story, he shows them his power and shows a miracle calming the storm and even allowing Peter to to walk towards him a little bit, Mm -hmm. which is amazing. Yeah. Um, And so that really doesn't prove that ghosts exist because... That was just a, a, a Jewish folktale that they would, that they had kind of come up with. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when you talk about Samuel, I actually preached on that passage twice last year. It's, it's an absolutely fascinating passage. I, I love it. And there's so much controversy around it as well. Um, but like you said, when, when Saul has her call up Samuel... Um, if you give me just a moment here, I'm going to turn to that passage in the Bible. Yeah, for those maybe maybe watching or are going to listen later, we're, we're going to First Samuel chapter 28 yep. is where you'll find this account. And and we talked about this a little bit last week on the show, but Saul is not hearing from the Lord, and so he goes to this witch of Endor, which was already put out, and there wasn't allowed to practice this. In Israel, but he goes mm-hmm. there because he wants to hear from the Lord and he wants Samuel to speak to him. And Samuel's already passed on. 
he's already in the presence of God. And so that's just kind of setting up a little bit of the, the, the context there, but go ahead. Yeah. And so a little bit more about that too, is what's happening contextually at this time where the Philistines had gone out to fight Israel again. And as I like to describe it, the Philistines and Israelites were like siblings. Every time you turn your back on them, they're fighting again. And, uh, so Saul sees this army raid against him and the Israelites, and he panics. And he, like you said, he hadn't been hearing from God. Samuel has died. So Paul panic, uh, Paul Saul panics. And instead of coming to the Lord in repentance, he decides, oh, you know, if I'm not hearing from God, I'm supposed to hear from him. Maybe these pagans and their religious beliefs with mediums who can talk to the dead. Maybe I can hear from Samuel again through pagan means. And Saul had already put out an edict that any medium or witch that was found in Israel was to be put to death. Mm -hmm. So Saul here is breaking his own command. Not only is he breaking God's command not to interact with these people, he's also breaking his own command and showing hypocrisy because he's panicked and doesn't know what to do at this time. And we as Christians know that if we ever get in a situation that, that we're stressed and don't know what to do, we come before the Lord in prayer and, and humbleness and contriteness and say, ask for guidance. And so Saul travels to Endor, and what's interesting is they know immediately where this woman is. They didn't have to take days, weeks, interrogate people to find out, hey, where's this medium at? They knew where she was. She was well known for what she did. And when she calls up Samuel... Um, like she asks Saul, whom shall I bring up for you? And Saul says, bring up Samuel for me. And in chapter 28, verse 12 of 1 Samuel, it says, when the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. And like you were saying, this woman, like this wasn't one of her familiar spirits that she's right. used to. And, and like having talked to psychics and having studied up on psychics today, you'll hear them talk about familiar spirits or who they talk to to get their information from in this day and age. And that's how they would do things back in, in uh, 1000 BC as well when this is taking place. But when this medium, this witch, sees Samuel come up, she cries out in a loud voice. And the way the Hebrew is worded and rendered there, it's she panicked. She was scared out of her mind. This was beyond her control and unlike anything that uh, she'd ever seen before. And the analogy I like to use for this is like pest control. If you open up your pantry one day and all of a sudden you see this mouse happily chomping away on your bread, well, it's like, all right, I have a mouse problem. So you start talking to people that you know and immediately they go, hey, there's this pest control expert. You should go talk to them. And so... You go and get in contact with this pest control expert. He comes over to your house. You're like, yes, he's going to get this mouse. This mouse is done for. I'm going to be able to eat my bread in peace now. And you go over to the pantry. You open the door. There's that mouse chomping on your bread still. And he sees that mouse and screams at the top of his lungs and goes running out to his truck and takes off. Like, you wouldn't take him seriously. It's like, this is your job. You uh -huh. came highly recommended. Everybody knows that this is what you do. Like, why is this scaring you? So the question to ask is, well, why is the medium, the witch shrieking, like scared that she's seeing Samuel come up? Well, it's because it's not her power. 
she didn't do this. This isn't her familiar spirits that she is used to talking to or whatever entity she was used to communicating with for other people whenever she had done this. This was something completely supernatural and paranormal for her, pun intended. Hmm. And she doesn't know how to react to that other than to scream. And when you look into it, Saul, uh, Samuel's very upset with Saul. And when Saul says, I, I need a word from the Lord, the Philistines are coming to war against me. God's not talking to me. Samuel reiterates a prophecy that he had already given Saul before he died. And then Samuel gives him another prophecy that he, that is Saul and his sons, were going to join Samuel in the afterlife. And the Israelites were going to be given into the Philistines' hands the next day. And we see that come true the very next day. Saul's killed, mm -hmm. his sons are killed, and the Israelites are defeated. And when you look at Satan and demons, people who try to explain this away as being a demon impersonating Samuel or as Satan speaking through the medium here, Satan's called the father of lies in John 8.33 by Jesus himself. He is a deceiver. That's Satan's greatest weapon is to deceive. And in 1 Kings, we get a story of King Jehu, I think it's Jehu, um, or Jehoshaphat from Judah and Ahab from Israel getting ready to go to war. And they seek a word from the Lord, and all these false prophets come up to Ahab going, Oh, yes, King Ahab, go to war. You will be given victory. God is on your side, all supporting him. And the king of Judah goes, um, um, These guys are all fakes. Do we have a real prophet of the Lord here? And Ahab reluctantly goes, yeah, but he doesn't prophesy anything good about me, so right. why would I want to listen to him? But under Jehoshaphat's insistence, they bring him in, and he prophesies and says, hey, these guys are false prophets. You are going to go to war and die, Ahab. And that's what happens. So why would a demon who follows Satan, who is the father of lies and the great deceiver, and thus we can make... Uh, we can claim that demons are also deceivers and liars as well, unclean spirits, evil spirits. Why would they give Saul a true prophecy that's saying he's going to die, and then it comes true? And the Bible clearly lays out for us that to test a prophecy, is, you test a prophecy by seeing if it comes true. If it does, then it was from the Lord, and if it doesn't, then it wasn't the Lord speaking. And we see a prophecy come true, so it's from the Lord, and... Samuel didn't come up from the witch's power. This wasn't giving credence to the witch. It's not demonic power that's causing Samuel to come back. It's not demonic or satanic deception that's speaking through the witch. All the contextual clues in the passage itself point to it being a supernatural act of God, letting the spirit of Samuel come back to deliver another prophecy to Saul and condemn him to death for breaking the Lord's law and seeking out this medium. Mm -hmm. And, oh, there was something else I was going to say. Well, I think I it's very it's very fascinating, too, because it shows the power of God who has the power over life and death. Because Absolutely. we get the, the parable of the rich man in Lazarus, and he says those mm -hmm. who are here aren't going to go there. They can't go there. But by and the power of God, it. we see him bring up Samuel. We see uh, Moses and Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration, right? Yep. But, but there is no this... Um, people in limbo 
running around. And the other thing, uh, if you still have your thought, uh, I'll let you get there. But the other thing is we, we need not to try to discredit the fact that demons can do supernatural things. Right. Absolutely. We see this in with Moses in the Pharaoh. Um, he has yeah. his magicians, his those who, who practice certain arts uh, that are able to do things. Some maybe by trickery, but they're also able to do supernatural things, not Absolutely. to the power of God. So I think sometimes, especially living in America, we as Christians kind of discredit the supernatural from demonic mm-hmm. things because I don't think we should try to see a demon under every bush. Oh, absolutely but not. We shouldn't discredit it as if they're not actually there and Satan is not a real adversary that we need to worry about who's roaming around seeking to wh- whom he can devour. Because you know, if and he have disguises that mindset, himself. That's a great victory yeah. to Satan and his demons. Yeah, because he he disguises himself as an angel of light. Uh, that yep. passage talking about false prophets, but it, they, it mentions Satan doing this and his demons are going to do the same thing. Let me yeah. pretend to be something good. Pretend to be your grandfather. Pretend to be someone who you know or <laughs> someone that you can look up a history of a house and see it. Because demons, they're around. They can get, gather information. They yeah. They're not able to uh, predict the future because they're not omniscient. They're not all-knowing yeah. like God is. So they can use the information and the knowledge. They've been around for a long time and gather it and use it as familiar spirits to some of these, these uh, mediums, psychics, whatever, um, and give them information. But, but again, they're going to have to answer because God has given us commands on this as well. So if you can remember your, your thought there before. Yeah, or, or um, go? I was going to say, I was going to say, and when we talk about this passage in Samuel, it's descriptive. It's not prescriptive because you look throughout scripture too, and you see people raising people from the dead, but those passages aren't prescribing something for us to expect and for us for how we should go raise people from the dead. That's just describing an actual historic event that happened. Mm -hmm. And that's the same thing that we see here in 1 Samuel. It's not prescriptive. It's not telling us that witches have this power. It's not telling us that people who have died come back all the time to talk to us so that they can do that. It's just descriptive telling a truthful account of an actual historic event that happened for us to learn from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So, so some of the scriptures, you know, the Bible tells us about, as we mentioned some already earlier, that once we die, we face the judgment. Mm-hmm. Those who do not know Christ, there, there's no condemnation for those in Christ, right? Bible, John yeah. three sixteen, the famous verse, those who believe in him, they will not perish. But it goes on in verse 18 and following the, through 20, it says that those who are condemned are already condemned because they do not believe and theirs is this eternal lake of fire that we read about in Revelation. The hell's yep. going to be cast into this. Um, so if you're outside of Christ, that's your end. If you're in Christ, there's no condemnation for you uh, because you are in Christ, right? Yep. So th- this is th- that all were given in Scripture for the afterlife. There's and, not a limbo. Uh, go ahead. Mm-hmm. And just to build off of what you're saying... That's one of the big scary things about getting involved in ghost hunting and paranormal activity because amongst the different branches of paranormal investigation, the branch dealing with uh, ghosts and hauntings, which is what I was involved in, the specific question they are seeking answers to is, 
is there life after death or what happens after we die? And as a Christian, we know that the Bible speaks the truth on this. Like you said, the Bible only gives us two options. If you're a believer, you die and you're immediately in the presence of your Lord and Savior in heaven, spending an eternity enjoying him and glorifying him forever. And if you're not a believer, then you're under his wrath for an eternity because you've rejected his free offer of salvation. There is no third way. So as a Christian, as a believer, biblically speaking, if anybody tries to present a third option for what happens after we die, we can immediately reject that as being untrue and false. And that's the danger with paranormal investigation is that it presents a third way that we can stick around on earth after we die and hang out as ghosts. And even growing up as a Christian and being in church, I fell into that trap. I was getting very much to the point where I'm like, yeah, there's tons and tons of evidence that people can stick around on earth after we die. And I'd never once bothered turning to the Bible to look at this until 2019. And even as a believer, this pulled me far and far and far away from my walk with God to the point I wasn't even walking with him anymore. And Christian in name alone, but that was it. So as a believer, that's why it's so important not to get involved with this stuff. You don't want to reject it. Having some answers and understanding of what it is is good to be able to help those who have these experiences. But this isn't something that we should be seeking out, getting ourselves involved in, because it will pull you away. And like you said, Satan masquerades as an angel of light, and his ministers are going to do the same thing. They're going to act like they are good people too, giving you good answers. And yeah, you have psychics that are giving good, helpful information or helping people come to peace with things, but that's not coming from God. That's coming from the demons. And even demons will use truth if they can mm -hmm. use it to deceive you. And what better way to deceive people than to think that we can hang out on earth after we die or to think that we can talk to people or even we ourselves can talk to people that have passed on to get more information. Yeah. And, and I, I can pretty much guarantee, right. That when you have these familiar spirits, if you were to ask them what the truth is, they're not going to give it to you. They're not going to tell you, you got to repent and turn to Jesus Christ. He's the only way mm -hmm. because they, they're, they're going to have an, another message because even if they're giving, as you said, truths or they they have some knowledge of something that this psychic medium helps you with then you're thinking oh they know that they they have this knowledge that i can constantly go to them for answers right it's it's yep. it's only for the deception to keep you from christ that's it right the yeah. scriptures tell us the scriptures tell us in leviticus 19:31 uh, do not turn to mediums or necromancers do not seek them out and so make yourselves unclean by them. I am the Lord your God. It also reiterates this in Leviticus 20, 27. It says, a man or a woman who is a medium or a necromancer shall surely be put to death. Uh, they shall be stoned. This is the seriousness of God's uh, commands. And when you break his law, um, you know, I had atheists that always want to give me uh, pushback and, and go to the Old Testament where God was so harsh and judging, you know, on. But you got to understand the, the disposition of man before God is sinful. And God hates sin. And so he's dealing with sin. He's judging sin. Deuteronomy 18, 9 through 15 tells us about not having anything to do with these kinds of practices, this, this, these sorceries. So 
anything you would want to add there, but then I have one question. We're kind of coming down to the end of the program, but I have a question about uh, when it says not to, to turn to these mediums or necromancers, we think of the Ouija board. Do you think, because I kind of am under this opinion, and tell me what you think about this. I think that messing with that EVP thing is like a form of playing with a Ouija board. You're, you're mm -hmm. seeking something. So, so if you had anything with those scriptures or any other ones you would want to add, and then uh, you know, kind of talk about that. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to go. I have three things I kind of want to talk about, uh, okay. piggybacking off of what you just said. Um, one, I want to give a story about a psychic and the familiar spirits to go along with what you were talking about. Secondly, I want to look at what Peter has to say about um, how to receive the prophetic word. And thirdly, I, I will touch on Ouija boards and EVPs for you too. But to go along with what you were saying about like asking a psychic to ask their familiar spirits for the truth, we were doing, Dylan and I helped co-lead, or we led a public investigation of a location in Colorado for a paranormal expo that was going on back in 2019. And then after that public investigation, there was a Q&A session with the person who was putting on this expo for the weekend. And this lady was a well-known locally uh, medium who had done work with the police and who had talked to people and, and done things for people like that. So she was very well known locally in the Colorado Rocky Mountain region. And as she's answering questions, um, somebody asked her, well, what's the best proof we have? Well, sorry about that. Asked her, how do you know ghosts are real? And this, this lady, this medium comes back and goes, you know, that's a very good question. And I struggled with that for a long time. And then I decided to go to my familiar spirits for that question to see if they had any advice for me. And listening to her talk the next day at the conference, she said she had three or four different familiar spirits that she talked to. So she said she asked them what the best evidence for ghosts is and how can we know that ghosts are real? And what she had to say in response, like I was just starting to get start looking into the Bible for biblical explanations to this and just starting to get back into my faith. Her response about knocked me out of my chair. Um, she goes, I asked my familiar spirits, like, what the best proof for the ghosts are and how do we know they're real? And one of them came back with, well, the greatest ghost of all time, Jesus. Mm. And my jaw hit the floor and she goes on to say, and how Jesus died, but then he came back as a ghost and his disciples saw him and talked with him. He actually ate with his disciples. They could touch him and feel him but he could go through walls and move all over the place. Like that's the best evidence we have for ghosts being real. And I just turned and looked at Dylan and mouthed the words demonic. It's like, even though I wasn't really strong in my walk and was just getting my, my legs of faith back under me. It's like that hit me like a sledgehammer. It's like these familiar spirits that these psychics and mediums claim to talk to are nothing more than demons because mm -hmm. that's a false gospel. That's a demonic claim that contradicts everything in scripture about Jesus. Jesus came back to his disciples and said, give me food, come and touch me because ghosts or spirits don't eat and drink and they aren't physical flesh like I am. So yeah, that's an attack that, on the resurrection. And, and, and Paul mm -hmm. says, if the resurrection haven't, hasn't happened, then our faith is in vain. Absolutely. So that right off the bat, that was the other big thing that knocked me out of the paranormal and basically sealed the deal for me that this is all demonic and that the Bible has the answers that I need. And then, um, like you're talking about in, in Leviticus, 
God warns us through Moses, God warns the Israelites through Moses not to talk to mediums and necromancers. And all throughout the Bible, we see that. And then in, in 2 Peter, um, 2 Peter 1, 16 through 21, Peter writes, For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when he made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And Peter's talking about the transfiguration there. And then Peter goes on to say, And so we have the prophetic word, that is the Bible, the scriptures, confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning stars star rises in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. So in the New Testament, Peter sums it up like, well, why don't we need to go to spirits and mediums and go to astrologers, horoscopes, tarot cards, palm readers, crystals, things like that? Well, it's because we have the prophetic word that is more sure and we should heed, we would do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place because it's the truth. John 17, 17, Jesus says, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Right. And yeah. we know God cannot lie. So every word that comes from scripture is going to be truth and is a prophetic word made more sure that shines like a light in the darkness. Mm -hmm. So that's why we as Christians do not need to go to any of these worldly pursuits because those aren't the light. Those aren't the truth. They might have grains of truth embedded within them to deceive you and get you hooked, but that's not the truth. We need to turn to the Bible. Yeah. And yeah. then as you were saying about EVP and Ouija boards, yeah, there is a, a common myth nowadays that Ouija boards are just portals to hell. And anytime you look at one, you have some Christians will say, yeah, if you touch one, you've opened yourself up to the demonic. If you even think about having one, you've opened yourself up to the demonic. But Funny enough, um, Ouija boards are just talking boards, and there's multiple, multiple kinds of talking boards. And in the early 1900s, Ouija boards were part of everyday life, actually. And an article from Smithsonian Mag says, it was so normal for people to use Ouija boards that in May 1920, Norman Rockwell, illustrator of blissful 20th century domesticity, depicted a man and a woman Ouija board on their knees, communing with the beyond on the cover of the Saturday Evening Post. Mm. And even Christians back in that time were encouraged to go to church on Sunday and hear the word and then use the, the Ouija board to talk to the beyond. It wasn't until a little-known movie called The Exorcist <laughs> that everybody knows about that Ouija boards really took on that bad connotation for being demonic and a portal to hell. But here's the thing about Ouija boards. They're no different than using a cell phone, than using a digital audio recorder, than using a camera or some other device to try to communicate with the beyond, or even just going to a location, whether it's haunted or not, and asking for spirits to respond to you. It's just a tool that we use to try to communicate with the beyond. So you can open yourself up to demonic activity through any number of ways when you try to communicate with them. It's not just Ouija boards. And Dylan and I, when we had our paranormal team together, we kind of put that to the test. 
we took a Ouija board to a location that we'd had some pretty crazy activity happen at. And we sat there for, I don't remember, 10, 15 minutes or so trying to use the Ouija board and absolutely nothing happened. And we used it a few other times too and nothing ever happened. I had it in my house and nothing happened with the Ouija board. Nothing happened with the Ouija board. The Ouija board itself is not is not a demonic thing. It's your intention with how you're using the Ouija board or a cell phone or a digital audio recorder or a camera or any other number of tools that opens you up to the demonic influence. Yeah. So so the last um well I think we'll 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 probably close there because uh we've gone a little bit over but uh, <laughs> I want to let you No, it, it's fine. Uh, I want to let you any any final thoughts. Um, you know, we did have a comment earlier, a couple of them. I put them up on the screen, but we had one from Georgia that said, uh, I grew up in a haunted house. My dad was violent, abusive. I always wondered if his toxicity uh, caused the strange events. Uh, we had another one here from uh, Destiny said she was praying for discernment uh, concerning how the medium brought Samuel to talk. So hopefully that cleared some of that up for you. Um, see the sovereignty of God is providence, right? Um, <clears throat> but any final thoughts, anything you would want to leave those who maybe dabble in this? Um, it, because it, it does seem popular. I mean, there's all those different, uh, ghost hunting shows. Um, you know, I always find it interesting when these ghost hunters go in, even movies lately, what is it? Uh, Ed and Lorraine Warren, um, oh, the were very popular, yeah. the conjuring movies, the, the Annabelle's, um, mm -hmm. When you think about this, they usually they're they're demonologists or some so to speak yep. or something, and they always bring in Catholic priests yeah. when they have some problem, which should show you <laughs> they're not solving anything because you know um, despite what some may may believe, uh, there may be Christians within the Roman Catholic Church who are ignorantly in it, uh, but as a whole they don't have the truth because they they have a gospel plus works, and so. When just that alone should should cause one to think, okay, let me pull back. But again, there are people that do have experiences. They may dabble with this. They may be intrigued by it. They may have had ex experiences that they've seen or you know heard or something, and not to doubt their experience. But hopefully tonight, this kind of helps you look to the scriptures to find the answers to these. But what would you you know maybe say to them or or any last thoughts you'd want to add? Um, first, I'll address the kind of question um, that Georgia brought up, that I grew up in a haunted house. My dad was violent and abusive. I always wondered if his toxicity caused the strange events um, without knowing exactly what kind of haunted activity was going on. It's hard to give a definitive answer of any sort to that. But the Bible does tell us in Ephesians, do not let the sun go down in your anger, thus giving Satan a foothold. And you, we do know biblically that Anger can be demonically inspired or demonically influenced. And if somebody's becoming very, very violent and angry, that can open up a foothold, as Paul says, for, uh, for Satan or demons to kind of come in. So there is a possibility that his violent and abusive ways opened the door for some more demonic influence to happen and caused some and they cause some unexplained recurrences to happen. But there's also a psychological aspect to that too, where having somebody around who's violent and abusive can cause one to get into a mindset of being kind of very security-minded, 
on the alert and defensive for things, and thus hearing sounds that are just normal everyday sounds from like the house, somebody else in the house doing might sound out of place because of the mindset or the psychological space that, mm. that a person could be in, or there's any number of reasons. So it's a possibility, but I, I can't objectively say one way or the other on that. Um, I will say that when it comes to anger issues, the Bible is the best place to turn. There's no true peace found outside of Jesus Christ. And right. Amen. the power of God can turn somebody who's a killer. You see Paul hunting down Christians in the name of God to imprison and kill, get turned into the apostle Paul who wrote most of the New Testament that we have today and was the greatest missionary the world's ever known. So God can work miracles beyond belief in any person's life. Nobody's beyond saving. Nobody, no matter what their personality is, beyond getting fixed by God. But that power, that truth only comes through Jesus and that only comes through the Bible. And like you were saying about these demonologists in the paranormal realm, the term demon gets thrown around as a catchphrase. It, it's used to get popularity and get people interested in a show. Oh, on this episode, we ran into a demon. Oh, on this episode, we're going to go to this location that supposedly has a demonic haunting. Uh, most paranormal investigators, and I was guilty of this myself, we would teach that most ghosts out there are benevolent, friendly spirits that you have nothing to worry about. Sometimes you'll get an angry ghost that's a little bit more violent, but very, very, very rarely will you ever encounter a demon. And you kind of see that portrayed on these TV shows too. And because if you just come up straight front and forward and go like, yeah, it's all demonic, nobody's going to be interested in it. It's like, oh, demons, big, scary, red monster guys, who wants to get involved with that? Mm. So it gets pushed off as just being friendly, benevolent spirits with demons only happening very rarely. And thus, you see movies about demons or you see TV shows, YouTube channels throw up the word demon in their ghost hunting title just to kind of get people's attention and go, oh, this is going to be even scarier. I have to watch this episode. So that really just get, grabs people's attention. But ultimately, I want to say this. For Christians out there listening to this, this is, this is an absolutely fascinating topic that can easily draw you in. And if you give too much fascination and interest to this, you can easily find yourself getting pulled down paths that pull you further away from God, getting pulled into metaphysical humanism, getting pulled into New Age ideology, Wicca, mm. other sort of energetic practices that have nothing to do with the Bible. And that's what happened to me. I can speak about that personally. So as a Christian, it's good to know a little bit about this so it can answer things for people. But this isn't something we should seek out. We're also not commanded to go around trying to unhaunt places or exercise places. We're called to proclaim the gospel. Go make mm -hmm. disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The gospel is the power to break free people free from demonic influence. Mm -hmm. The gospel is the power to change lives. So for anybody who is not a believer out there listening to this, if you've struggled with paranormal activity, with having living in a haunted house, or you think you might be getting demonically assaulted in any sort of way or under demonic influence, the only way you can be truly freed from that is through the gospel. And we see Jesus say that if you cast a demon out of a person, he'll go wandering through the desert 
and then I'll go, I'm going to go back and check on my house, the person that he was originally possessing. And he'll come back and find it swept clean and empty, and he'll bring in seven more demons that are even more evil than he is. Well, what's that telling us? It's telling us that, sure, you might cast a demon out of somebody, but if you don't fill that empty space now that that demon has left, they're just going to get worse. That demon will come back, or more demons will come back, or more unbiblical, ungodly thoughts and activities are going to fill that person up. That person needs to be filled with the gospel. So if you're not a Christian, I would implore you to repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ in his life, death, burial, and resurrection. He died on the cross for our sins. He was buried in the ground, and three days later, he rose again from the grave, defeating sin, defeating death, and breaking the curse of sin on our lives. But the only way you can have that freedom from sin and freedom from evil demonic influence is if you repent of your sins and believe in him. And then the Bible is where you turn to as a Christian to get your answers because that teaches you how to grow. That teaches you the truth and the right way to walk in this life. And the Bible is a light onto our feet, a light onto our path. Anything from the world is just darkness, and darkness doesn't illumine anything. The Bible lights up the darkness. Turn to the truth. Turn to Jesus, and, and you can be free from all of this. Amen, brother. Amen. Well, I want to thank you for, for coming on to the program tonight. If anybody wants to reach out, you can email us at g220radio at gmail.com. Daniel, if anybody wanted to reach out to you or find your book, where, where, can, they, where can they do that? Um, you can find my book on Amazon. Just look up my name, Daniel McAdams, or Biblical Explanations, The Paranormal. You can find it that way. I have a, a ministry called 612 Ministries. If you search that in Google search, it should take you to our Facebook page or to the website. You can reach out to me or to a couple of my other team members there. We'd be happy to talk to you more about this and try to answer your questions that you may have as well. Yeah, well, thank you again for coming on the show. It's been very interesting. I enjoyed having you on and just talking about this very fascinating topic and discussion. So thanks again, Daniel. I appreciate it, brother. Yeah, thank you for having me and uh, all glory to God. Amen. All right. That's been G20 Radio for tonight. Until next week, God bless.